Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. We're going to continue with our series today on, on, the, on the book of Philippians. We're talking about being full of joy. Today, the topic is serving serving. So last week we saw that joy is found in community, in community. And think about this. What do we do when we have a community that rallies us around our purpose in Christ, gives us a mission, endurance to complete the mission, and joy in the process? What is the natural result? I believe that when we're surrounded with people that have a mission that's given by Christ, that the natural result is that we serve together, that we lay down our lives for other people. Back in college, I went to a a school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, It was called North Central, and it was downtown Minneapolis, and and man, I had a blast. I I didn't have to have a car all through um, college because everything was within walking distance. I'd I'd run or ride my bike to work. I'd I'd walk through the Skyway system, which is pretty cool if you've never been there, and and it was just a great experience, but but the second semester I was there, I, I found a church that was kind of far away. My brother went to this church, and it was about 30 minutes south of, of the cities there. And so every Sunday morning and Wednesday night, I would get in someone's car that was headed that way and head down to Apple Valley, Minnesota. And I had what turned out to be four or five of the best years of my life. I had an absolute blast. I would leave uh, my dorm at probably 6 or 6.30 on Sunday morning. I would go and I'd practice with the worship team and I would set up chairs and tear down because at first the church was portable and so we would unpack a truck and then fill the truck and then and I'd play drums and I'd do what I was there to do and then I would go to the youth pastor's house and fall asleep on his couch all afternoon after he fed me. Uh, come on, somebody, you, knew, <laughs> you got friends like that that you could just walk in the house and just lay down on the couch and go to sleep? Does anybody have friends like that? I did. It was amazing. And so, and then I'd wake up and we'd have, we'd have youth small groups that on Sunday night. So uh, youth would come over to the house and we'd hang out and we would talk and we would have an absolute blast. And then after that, what we would do, what would we do? We'd hang out some more till late at night. And so usually at about 1130 PM on a Sunday night, me and some other students would be driving back to school to start the long week right? Let me tell you. And then on Wednesday, we'd do the same thing over again. We'd go to school, then head down to church and get back around midnight. Why? Because the mission and the vision was worth it. Because people's lives were being changed. Because people were meeting Jesus. Because we had found a purpose that many times overrode our comfort, some of the best years of my life. And guess what? All those years that I would do that schedule and on top of a full study load and I would work 20 hours a week parking cars downtown Minneapolis as a valet. Valet, not ballet. Don't, don't get the wrong idea. Um, valet. And, and so I would park cars and I would work hard and I'd, I'd try to get good grades in school and, and I never, ever, ever would miss that serving opportunity. Why? Because it was the absolutely best part of my week. And all throughout the the four or five years I did that, it never got old. 
I never once thought to myself, I don't think I'm going to go today. You know, we used to have a joke in the dorms because this was a, a ministry school and people were there to prepare for ministry. And sometimes you'd get back from church um, or on Monday, you'd say, oh, where'd you go to church? What'd you do yesterday? And, and some guys would joke, oh, I just hung out with Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets, right? Some of you will get that on the way home. They never got out of bed. And many times it's easy to fall into those rhythms where our comfort becomes more important than our service. But it never got old to me. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's part of how I've wired. I, I don't know if it's just because, man, maybe I just got lucky or blessed and I was just in an amazing environment with good friends. And, uh, or, or maybe it was just a choice. I don't know. I don't know. But bottom line is, we find joy in serving. We find joy in serving. And that's what today's message is all about. Some of you are like, Joe, I don't know. I, I, I haven't had that experience. I, when I showed up to serve, they weren't ready for me and, and things seemed a little bit chaotic and, 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 and I just felt like I didn't fit in and I didn't really know what to do. And, 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 and you've got all these reasons why it didn't work in whatever realm and wherever you were in life. And guess what? I've been there too. But what I found is that when you keep showing up, and I'm not just talking about serving at church. This could be in the community. It could be anywhere. When you keep showing up and your focus is on people and you're investing in people, it always brings joy. It always brings joy. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to walk through the whole chapter and we're going to see how to find joy in serving. It's going to be great. I sure hope so. If, if not, then we'll, we'll pray the Bengals game is great, right? Come on, somebody. So number one, to find joy in serving, we must know the reasons why we serve. We must know the reasons why we serve. Paul is very specific here in this chapter. It's not just that we serve, but he gets into the nitty gritty of how we serve. And so the first step to the how is to know the why. The why drives the what and the how. You can't do the what and you can't do the how before you know the why. We start with why. And so we let the why inform the how. If you don't start with why, you're gonna get off kilter, you're gonna lose your motivation, and you're not gonna keep showing up because you don't know why in the world you're showing up. Come on, somebody. And so verse one, Paul says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And for all of you that just have the, the incredible gift of sarcasm, you're like, okay, I see where he's going, <laughs> right? He's, he's being a little sarcastic. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Of course there is. Any comfort from his love? Of course. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? <laughs> maybe, right? Some of you, that's, that's a big maybe, but, but it should be, right? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one, or one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. You see we're into the how now. Don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. And so in these 
action-packed four verses, Paul not only gives us the how, but he first gives us the why. In the NIV translation, in verse two, it says, then make my joy complete. Then make my joy complete. You see, how is Paul gonna be full of joy when he saw other people serve? When he's implanting what he's already seen happen in his life, the joy that he's received from putting himself second and other people first, he's already experienced it. And so he's saying, hey, make my joy complete by not just me experiencing it, but you experiencing it too. Make it complete. And so he's saying, because these things are true, what's true? Man, there's encouragement from knowing Christ. There's comfort in his love. There's fellowship in the spirit because you have a supernatural family. Your earthly family might be kind of suspect. You might not be looking forward to Thanksgiving because it's just gonna be a little crazy in the house. you know. But there's your spiritual family there's hope, there's fellowship. It says we have a, you know, are our hearts tender and compassionate? Listen, this is assumed. Paul is assuming that because you follow Christ, that your heart has become soft and tender and compassionate. This is assumed. This should be a byproduct, byproduct if it is not already in your life of your relationship with Jesus. And I would just say, man, if you struggle with having a, ten, having a tender and a compassionate heart, if you struggle with just being a little bit judgmental and just being kind of like, like just on edge all the time towards people, the remedy is to spend more time with Jesus, to pray for your enemies, to seek his face, because when you spend time in the presence of God, your heart gets in alignment with his, and by proximity to him, you become more tender and compassionate. And so this is the why. This is the why. Then it moves to the how. Then make my joy complete by doing the following. Be agreeable. Love each other. Work together in unity. Listen, we can do so much more together than we can on our own. Unfortunately, we live in a very consumeristic, a very me-centered culture. Everything is my way right away. Have you noticed that? It's like we tried to take the Burger King slogan and apply that to our lives as Christ followers. I've been there. You know, times when it's like, well, I don't really like doing that. I really like doing this. And so, and so instead of doing what's needed, we just do what makes us feel good. And that's not what this is talking about. It says to work together in unity, being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. Have a singular purpose. You know, it's not just a buffet. Well, I like to do this, and I like to do this. And, and man, we have been gifted. And we, we, do, um, we do try to honor people's giftings here at Mosaic Church. But man, there's a singular purpose of what we're here to do. We're here to reach the lost. We're here to make this a, a, a rescue station, a life-saving station where people meet Jesus Christ and it changes their life forever. It says, don't be selfish. In essence, this passage is saying, it's not about you and it's not about me, right? Now, class 301, which we're gonna have next Sunday, we unpack our spiritual gifts, we call it our shape. Our, our spiritual gifts, our heart, right? 
our experiences, our personality, all these things, our abilities, all these things that contribute to the picture of, of who God created you to be and how he wired you to serve others. And so if you haven't had that class, I encourage you to come next Sunday night. And we really do believe that everyone is a 10 somewhere. And we do our best to honor those giftings and, and try to plug people in in the areas where they're most gifted. But in that class, we talk about how God has probably given you a primary area to serve where it's like, man, I'm in my sweet spot. I'm in my sweet spot. And so, like when I take a spiritual gifts test, a lot of times it, it shows up that I'm strong in, in leadership, in administration, and in evangelism. And so when I get to get up here and just tell people about Jesus, man, it fires me up. I can't wait to do it, right? Some of you are like, Joe, why are you always talking about, you know, what Jesus did on the cross? Because it fires me up and you need to be fired up about it too. And so there's that primary area where you're gifted, but guess what? There's a lot of secondary areas where I'm needed, where I'm needed. And when I really grasp onto this, this concept that it's not about me, that I'm working together in unity with other believers, it's not just about what I want to do, it's about what can we do together to accomplish the mission and to advance the kingdom forward in our church. Amen? Sometimes we just gotta do what's gotta be done. And we'll talk about that more later. But we see in this, these first four verses, man, it's about being others focused. And this why really does fuel the how. The second thing that we see and how we find joy in serving is that we follow Christ's descent into greatness. We follow Christ's descent into greatness. We're following his descent into greatness. And so the context of this passage and this instruction, because verses you know, 6 through 11, man, they, these are famous, famous verses. But the context of it is giving us instructions about how we should act as we serve and as we give our lives for the mission of Christ. But really, it's verse 5 that is most convicting and challenging to me. That's the, that's the one that really gets me. You see in verse five, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so we must follow Christ's descent into greatness. What does this look like? Verse six, it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated, elevated him to the highest place of, elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every, all, all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, that's like the gospel in one, in one little nutshell. It's amazing. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now, if you wanna get into some theology stuff real quick, this does not mean that he was not equal with God. He absolutely was. What this means is that he was willing, he was willing to, for a time, 
to let that go and to humble himself to a cross for you and for me. This is the truth that should rock your world and shake your life to its core more than any other truth you've ever heard. That Jesus, who is one with God the Father, who is with the Father from the very, very beginning, before time ever even began, he was with him. It was at his word that the world was created. That God the Father, the creator of the universe, and his son, that his son would leave his throne in heaven and descend so he could die a criminal's death on a cross for you and for me to pay our sin debt. I just, I can't ever get over it. It's amazing. How many of you remember going to the skating rink growing up? Anybody, any skaters in here? You know, nowadays when you go to the, to the skating rink, I see these guys going on a little train and they got this little, this little boogie that they do and, and it's just fun to watch. And I'm like, man, I can't do that, but it looks fun. But back, back in the day, when I would go to the skating rink with my friends, there was all these games that they would play, right? And probably the funniest one was when they would play limbo. Did anybody ever play limbo, right? At the skating rink? And, and so none of us were good at skating. It's like you felt like a, a giraffe on stilts. You're just like awkward and you're skating and you're doing your best. And, and man, when I skated, I was like a rhinoceros that was clumsy, right? I'm like, I'm charging ahead and just going like crazy and, and I'm taking somebody out. Like that, I was that kid when I was at the skating rink as a kid. It's like brakes, who needs brakes? I'll just run into the wall full speed ahead and I'll stop and that's okay and so that was me on the skating ring but man limbo was fun because they'd get this bar out and then you'd get in a line and everybody would 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 take turns to go under the bar and see who could get lowest and 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 for some reason I don't know why but it was always a girl that would win and she's like Gumby, and she's like all the way down to the floor, still rolling under the bar. Anybody remember that? Come on. There, there was always that one person that it was like, the bar's gonna be a foot off the floor and they're still going under. And they were the ones that won. And they probably got to go to the snack shack and get something for free, which as a kid, I'm like, oh, I want that, right? <laughs> you know? But kids these days don't know what they're missing, right? But it, it's when they went low, that's when they won. And that's the picture that we need to get of Christ's descent into greatness, that what goes down must come up. What goes down in God's economy, what goes down in the kingdom of God, what gets low and serves other people is the one that wins in the end. He was equal with God the Father, but willing to let it go for you and me. You see, so many times we're concerned with our rights. We're concerned with what, what's in it for us. We're concerned with all that. And I do believe that as a society, we need structures and systems that provide equal rights for all. And we should all, in that aspect, be advocates for equality. But at the same time, in my day-to-day -day interactions with people and as a Christ follower, my attitude is one of humility and giving up my rights. Does that make sense? Just as an individual walking through life, my goal is to get low. To get low. Why? 
Because in God's economy, what goes down must come up. You see, these days when people make meteoric rises in fame and fortune and in success, it's almost like we just sit back and wait for them to fall. Why? Because we see it all the time. And so in, in the carnal, in the flesh, in just our normal lives, people go up and then they crash and burn, right? But in your spiritual life and in following Jesus, it's the direct opposite. The lower you go, the lower you go, the more you'll be elevated in God's kingdom. You see, with Jesus, he went down into the grave and we sat three days to wait for him to rise, amen? Amen. What goes down must come up in God's economy. And so why is Jesus worthy of your life? Why should you follow his descent into greatness? Because he did this for you and for me. He went down. And so when you're faithful to take the humble route, God will lift you up in due time. What does this look like practically? You know, we get a clue in the verses that we already read. We consider others as more important than ourselves. Can I just get a second today that that's really hard? Can anybody second that? Right? And so maybe you just put it into words for yourself today and you say, because of Christ's example, because I want to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, I will consider fill in the blank. Whoever you're having the biggest problem with in life, whatever relationship you're struggling with in life, whoever you're just kind of like down on in life, I will consider them as more important than myself. I will look out for their interests as well as mine. Amen? You see, when we follow Christ's descent into greatness, it sometimes can get messy. And there's pain involved because we're putting ourselves second and we're putting someone else first. But when you serve others with the heart of Christ, just like Christ rose up from the grave, you are gonna have an eternal reward, an eternal reward that you cannot quantify on this side of heaven. Number three, we imitate Christ's example in our daily lives. We imitate Christ's example in our daily lives. And so not only are we gonna have the same attitude, but we're gonna imitate his example. Mark Twain once wrote and said, said something that is just kind of funny. He said, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. You know, that person that just always gets things right, that person that always does good, that person that's just like, man, it just looks easy for them. And so most of the time, we all have people that we look at in our life and we're like, well, I can't do that, right? And sometimes it's tempting for us to look at Jesus and we're like, well, he was perfect. He was Jesus. So of course. And so why would the Bible even ask us to have the same attitude? I don't even think I'm capable of that. And yet it does. But we think about Jesus and we think, man, he was perfect. How in the world am I supposed to do that? I'm glad you asked, because Paul gives us some instructions. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it's even more important. 
Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that same joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. What an amazing picture that we're gonna be full of joy when we empty ourselves and pour ourselves out like an illiquid offering to God. Love that picture. I love it. So we were just told to have his attitude, to imitate Christ, and then we're given some of the how. You know, there's a a few ways that that people try to work out their salvation, that try to, to implement this in their daily life. And as good Americans, man, when we, when we read that verse, work hard to show the results of your salvation, we just stop there and they're like, I could do that. I'm going to get on my good American work ethic and I'm just going to go to town. But then it says deep reverence and fear. And, and it's like, okay, I, I could be respectful. I could do that. And so because of that, sometimes we take some wrong approaches to implement this in our life. One thing that we do most common is we just fake it. We try to fake it until we make it. We're one thing in one place, like when we come to church, we put on one face, and then we're something else in another place. Our life is not integrated. We're not the same person all the time, and and we just try to fake it. When in reality, when you get real about where you're at, you can really grow but we just try to fake it a lot of times. Another way that we try to implement this in our life is, is we're obedient, we do what God says to do, but you know what else we carry with us? We're entitled. We're obedient, but entitled. What does this look like? It means that we're treating God like a cosmic vending machine. Have you ever done that? It's like, God, I put in my time. God, I served you. God, I did what you told me to do. Now where's the goods? We do it. We do it. God, I did all this for you. Where are you? And we've, we've fallen under the fallacy that, that right input equals right output on our terms. It's a transactional approach. You see, the only problem with this is that the only transaction that ever really mattered was already completed for you on the cross. Jesus never owed you anything, and he still doesn't owe you anything, but he cared for you so much out of love, not out of obligation, that he went to the cross and paid your sin debt. And so if Jesus never does another thing for you in your entire life, it's still worth your whole life. It's still worth giving everything that you have for the cause of Christ. Amen? He paid the debt when we didn't, or when he didn't have to. And so both of those, both of those previous examples, faking it and being obedient, but entitled, both of those put us at the center. But there's another way. There's another way, and and that's the whole pouring it out like an offering to God way. 
This is submission. It's complete and total surrender. You know, when you pour something out, you'll never get it back. Yesterday, my son Jason and his buddies were at the house, and uh, I had just gotten home, and, and uh, Jason had needed some socks, right? And so I had got him some socks, and for some reason, this kid wears black socks and black Crocs all the time. It's like, okay, whatever, but hey, he needed socks, so I get him socks. And, and so I guess that's what all the cool kids are wearing these days, maybe. Uh, the, the jury's out. So anyway, I get him socks, and, and he's standing there, and so I'm like, hey, I got your socks. Here they are. And so I just toss them at him. Well, he wasn't really ready to catch him, so he kind of fumbles it and then knocks his Mountain Dew off of the banister that goes around our stairwell down into the stairwell about 10 feet explosion all over the place of sticky, gross Mountain Dew. How many of you know, once that comes out of the can, there's no putting it back. And so I had a couple pieces of guilt in my heart. One, I was like, oh, I didn't see it. Number two, I'm like, this kid paid with his own good money that he's earned for that dumb Mountain Dew, and then I just wasted it. It's like, ah, right? And, but you can't put it back in the can. It's gone. It's gone. And sometimes we have, we have attachment. We have personal feelings and attachment to the things that get poured out. But that's the picture that is given to us when Paul talks about how we should serve and how we should imitate Christ's example in our daily lives. That we give with not, without expecting anything in return. We just pour it out that we submit to godly desires. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So how do we do this? We don't complain. We submit. We submit our flesh to God. We work at being pure. We witness and tell people about Christ. And we just sacrificially work for him, doing what he's called us to do. Amen? One of the chief ways that you serve others is by your example. It's not just what you do, it's who you are. You see, sometimes we think that, man, serving is just showing up and doing the job. I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna rock the babies or I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna greet at the door or I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna make the coffee. But you know what the most important thing is? Is how you imitate Christ as you do that. How you live for Christ when you go home. How you live for Christ as you lead your family. That's what's most important, that we're imitating Christ. Number four, as we close today, you'll be full of joy as you serve when you celebrate those who get low. When we celebrate those who get low. What we see here and what Paul is doing is, you know, on the surface, it could just be like, oh, he's, he's given them a report about Timothy and some dude named Epaphroditus. It's like one of those Bible names that's, it's like, how do you say that? And so, but really what, under the surface, what we see here is that what's celebrated, what gets celebrated gets repeated. What gets celebrated gets repeated 
This is one of these, those things that convicts me so much because I'm kind of a, a hard charger sometimes. It's like, man, before I'm even done with the current task, I'm moving on to the next task. Jolie always teases me that we could be eating a current meal and I'm asking, what's for dinner? Like, I'm already thinking about the next one and, and it's like, can't we just enjoy the one that we're eating now, right? And so, and so sometimes it's hard for certain personalities like mine to just slow down and just celebrate the right things. It's kind of like that concept that says we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are, right? It's like sometimes we need to just think about that a little more because, and we need to ask ourselves, what are we celebrating in life? And so I want to encourage you today to find someone to celebrate, to find somebody to celebrate. And instead of looking for outward appearance things to measure and to applaud, look for character to celebrate. Because that's what Paul is doing here with these guys. Verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served me, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I will come to see you, that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, coworker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to me to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So in case you missed it last week, just a little bit of the context, Paul is on house arrest in Rome. The church in Philippi had sent this guy named Epaphroditus with a monetary gift they had given to help support Paul while he was in prison. And so Epaphroditus had gone, had delivered the gift, had been encouraging to Paul, but had gotten really, really sick and almost died. And so he had had to stay in Rome for much longer than expected. And now he was just about ready to go back. There's this other guy, Timothy, who was Paul's apprentice, who had had gone all over the place on missionary journeys with Paul. And he'd been faithful and he had stuck it out. He had left everything behind for the cause of Christ. And so Paul is doing a couple things here. He's letting him know, hey, I'm sending these guys back to you and to encourage you. But he's also saying, man, these guys are the real deal. He's celebrating a couple guys who made extreme sacrifices for the kingdom of God. He's celebrating the right things. He's celebrating these guys that got low. 
that were following that example of Jesus back in the previous verses. You see, Timothy, Paul applauded not just what Timothy did for him, not just what Timothy did for Paul, but what Timothy did for them and how he cares about the church in in Philippi. He describes it as a deep and genuine care, a legit care that he had for them. Paul was celebrating what he wanted repeated. Epaphroditus, he calls him a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier in the trench with him. He's thanking the Philippian church because they didn't just send a person, they sent money too. They're reflecting the heart of Jesus where, where, where Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so they ministered not only to Paul's physical needs through Epaphroditus, but also his need for friendship and encouragement as well. And Paul's celebrating the fact that Epaphroditus did his job well. Listen, there's nothing more valuable in life than a friend who actually shows up for you. Can I say, can anybody say amen? There's nothing more encouraging than somebody that is consistent and does what they said they will do right? The one that you can call on at any time, the one that you know is going to be there for you, the one that is just willing to do whatever it takes. The same principle applies to the church and its mission. You see, friendships in life are many times reciprocal. reciprocal. It's like, well, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's kind of how a friendship works. I show up for you, you show up for me, and we're friends. That's what friends do. You see, here's the only problem. Many times when you're serving in the kingdom of God, it's not reciprocal. You feel like you're on the giving end way more than you're on the receiving end. Let me just get a, give a shout out today to our kids ministry volunteers because many times they give in rooms unseen week after week after week and they give and rarely does anybody give them a pat on the back. It happens. A lot of times they could see, they could think, they could be thinking, man, no one thinks about me, no one sees me. It's not reciprocal because the people that they're ministering to are at an age that they can't really do anything for them. Does that make sense? That baby, man, when you when you have a baby, you're just loving that baby, but does that baby do anything for you? No, you do everything for that baby. Why? Because you love them. Because you love them. And let me just tell you from somebody who's, who's been in the ministry now for the better part of 20 years, is that's just ministry sometimes. That you're gonna make extreme sacrifices for the kingdom of God and feel like much of what you've given and put out is not reciprocated. And so when you see people exhibiting that kind of quality in life, they need to be celebrated, just like Paul is celebrating Timothy and Epaphroditus. They need to be applauded. They need a hand. They need encouragement. They need you to support them and to give and to do whatever it takes to keep them going after the call of God on their life. These are selfless acts of service. The reward is in the future and many times you won't even get to see it. I can imagine that when Paul wrote this letter and sent it away, he had no idea at the time whether or not he would be alive to even hear about its arrival. 
He hoped. He used words throughout his epistles like, you know, if the Lord wills, I'll come to you. But he was legit in a place where he may not have made it because his very life hung in the balance. We need more uncommon people like that that are willing to give without reciprocation. We need more people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. The world needs you. That you're willing to put yourself and your own interests aside and go wherever you have to go and do whatever it takes just to serve people and to, to, to spread the message of Christ regardless of whether, whether it is ever paid back. We need people who are willing to go through the hard for the sake of the gospel, to get up early, to stay up late, to invest because that's what's in your heart, not because it's what somebody told you to do. People who have, have latched on to this thought that, man, I'm going to imitate Christ, not just in the good things and the, and the nice, warm and fuzzy things, but in the hard things. I'm going to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And, and, and wherever that leads me, I'm going to follow. Listen, when you put yourself second and others first, when you rock babies, when you teach kids, when you mentor youth, when you make somebody feel welcomed, when you take time to listen to someone's story, when you share a meal, when you give to missions, when you bring your friends and neighbors to church, when you're consistent at life group, when you call that friend that you haven't seen at church in a while, when you make your life about helping people live out the call of God and the, and the mission of Christ in their life, when you do for people what only you can do, because you're in their sphere, you're in their realm of influence, you're, you're, you're there close to them, you're in proximity. When we do that, when we all do this together, when we minister to the people in our sphere of influence, it, it's gonna have a compound exponential effect. And it changes the world. It could change our town, it could change our city, it could change our schools, it could change everything. When we latch onto this idea that man, when I put myself second, when I get low, God's gonna lift me up. When I pour out my life like a liquid offering and I serve with, without expecting anything in return, I could be a part of a kingdom impact on this world. I could be a part of that, amen? We reach people that possibly would never have been reached. You know, every single person that is in this room that follows Jesus Christ, you are following and serving Christ today because someone served, because someone said yes, because someone was obedient to Christ. And so church, it's time to serve. It's time to serve. I wanna encourage you, go to 101, go to 201, 301, fill out your Connect card, let us know, you know where you wanna serve, get baptized, join, be a, be a committed member of this body of Christ. Do whatever you have to do to serve. It's worth it, it's worth it. You're part of the kingdom of God, you're a part of the family of God, there's encouragement in being one in Christ Jesus and we've got a job to do. For some of you, that begins with giving your life to Christ. 
It begins to, with submitting your life to his lordship, to surrendering all in for Jesus. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today, if that's you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.